putting a restriction on love seems counterproductive. Um, to me, it also seems really inhumane. Like that's what we thrive off as humans. We, we need love. So to me, that just didn't make any sense because just because that is seen as a normal thing to me, uh, you never know, like I might not meet anyone or the relationship that I'm in just now might not go anywhere. And, and But at least I've got a fighting chance as a straight person. I'm not going to be persecuted against the person that I fall in love with. So to me, has seeing people who've been persecuted purely on the stance of love, just, no, I'm not here for it and I'll never be here for it. I'm always going to stand up for what I think is right and I think equality is right. When it comes to your career, there really is no one formula for success. And if someone had asked me 20 years ago what career I would be working in today, I doubt I would have said employer branding, a career that didn't even exist at the time. Some of the best stories I've ever heard didn't follow a plan. They simply embraced the journey. And that's why I've created this podcast, to share the many career stories that have shaped the people behind them and to encourage future generations to trust more in the process instead of stressing over getting it right the first time. I'm Steve, and welcome to the My Career Story Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the My Career Story Podcast with me, your host, Steve Keith. Friendship. Something incredibly important to each and every one of us, as well as something that can be easily taken for granted. Now today on the last of my Pride Month special episodes, I welcome one of my best friends and allies, Harriet Lunny, who you might recognise from the interview with Davina Campo a few weeks ago. Harriet currently lives in London, where she works as a senior account manager at MSL Group UK, and she is a passionate DNI advocate, as you're about to find out. We first met in September 2013 when she joined my team working at EY. And if there was ever an example of allyship for the LGBT plus community, then this conversation of two parts will prove it. Following her share of um, her passion-led career story, Harriet and I will talk in more detail about why allies matter, an extension of the fabulous article she wrote for my website last year, link to which you can find in the show notes. But before I dive in, I want to say a quick thank you again to Harriet herself, Davina, Patrick, Raf, and Debbie for sharing their stories as part of this mini-series this year. For me, it's been both a pleasure and a learning experience. On with the show. Hello, my darling. How are you, babes? I'm good, thanks. We're both smiling from ear to ear. I've just told a fart joke about me (laughs) yesterday, so we're all good to go. We're, We're ready with this. Harriet's going to wow you with her career story. I do know a lot of this because we've worked together before, but that's why I'm going to mm-hmm. be a very good boy and, and kind of keep myself under control here. It's going to be a very different interview for you all today. Oh, <laughs> so, being quiet, that's a shock. Oh gosh, oh, she's off already. <laughs> okay, right. So, Harriet Lunny, what is your career story? Okay, so if we take it back to a very long time ago now, um, and starting off in high school. So coming from Scotland, um, 
for me anyway and kind of my family and my peer group in the school that I went to university was like the go-to option there was no other kind of option for us luckily in Scotland we have free university so mm. that's not a big challenge from a financial standpoint and everyone I knew um was going to university like my sister all of her friends my parents have been my family members have been all that kind of stuff so for me I was going to go to university study something and then get a job afterwards yeah that I would say probably 16 that was the level of foresight that I had um, as I decided to apply to study business at Edinburgh um, because I didn't really have a strong drive to do a particular um, specialism. Um, when I was younger I'd done a lot of um, acting and singing and all those kind of things so I mean at one point when I was 10 I thought I was going to win an Oscar. Meadow Street, I am not. I'm just one very day, good. darling. One day. one day, one day. I'm just quite good at karaoke, and that's about it, really. I'm oh, quite <laughs> good to be in very modest. Uh, <laughs> All right, I'm okay. <laughs> um, so, for a long time, when I was really young, that's what I thought my career was going to be. Realistically, I knew that I wasn't that good, and it wasn't really going to be something that I was going to excel at. It was just something that I enjoyed and I was passionate about. So, with that aside, I thought I'll study business. That seems like a, a good foundation, all-encompassing type course that can lead me in lots of different directions. Um, so I went to Edinburgh. Um, I had four years up uh, across there. Up there? It's because I'm in London, so I'm thinking up the way. But I was in Glasgow, went across to Edinburgh. Um, and, and yeah, I graduated in 2009. Uh, which was the first summer after the massive global recession when they were not hiring anyone out of university at all. It was, yeah. it was lovely. So I came back to Glasgow um, with my degree and no job, um, sitting in the kitchen with my mum. She was like, okay, what are you going to do now? I was like, I don't know. I've got no idea what I'm going to do now. Um, and my mum, as Steve knows, because he's met my mother before, um, she you're is. You're right, Pat. <laughs> she is uh, Glasgow's answer to Chris Jenner. She is a momager. Like she organises everyone in our family to precision. But I know for a fact, and I, my sister and my dad, and I think my brother-in-law would probably say the same. If it wasn't for my mum, I don't actually know what we'd all be doing like she's just so good at just getting it done and pushing you to do things so we sat in the kitchen and she said right okay what are you going to do so like, you've got two you've got two avenues you can go down here you can either get a shop job or go work in a pub which she was like okay I suppose that would be good but I feel like it's just not a good use of your time or you're going to go back to university and you're going to do a master's mm. so and that was the route that she was pushing for um, so that's what I did. We had a conversation around kind of what I really enjoyed out of my business course and the two things that stuck out to me were HR and marketing because they're the two um, routes within kind of general business that are to me the most people focused yeah. and there were things that I really enjoyed and it's kind of what, what my brain leans towards anyway. So that's what I did. Um, I applied to do a master's at Strathclyde Business School, um, got in there, um, and 
that was really the starting point from to where I am today because every interaction that I've had has led to a job opportunity which has been fantastic um, so when I was doing my master's degree part of that you spent three months in industry writing I think it was a 7,000 word essay on a particular topic of the work you were doing mm-hmm. um, so I was working out at um, RBS main office at Bogaburn outside of Edinburgh I met a senior member um, of the HR team there um, and and yeah we had a conversation we had a couple of coffees whilst I was working there and she said what are your plans once you finish up with your master's and I said well I'm, I'm starting to look for jobs but I don't really know yeah I haven't gotten anything I'm just kind of starting to figure things out she said okay once you're done call me and we'll have a chat about you know if there's an opportunity for you um and we'll have you in for an interview and I did and we had an interview um there was a entry-level HR job um at RBS insurance in their Glasgow office and I got the job and that was the first step for me um to kind of get my foot in the door and starting to learn what it's like to work in an HR department. Uh, at that time, um, off the back of everything that had been happening with the massive global recession and the hot water that RBS had gotten into, I my first job was doing um, CV and interv- interview skills for people who were being made redundant from RBS insurance so the call, shutting down the call centers things like that because um at the time rbs insurance was being sold off it's now direct line group so there was all of that happening so i was fresh out of uni i was 20 23 at the time going in to tell these people who had been working in a call center for 30 years how to do a cv and how to get an interview it's pretty daunting basically looked at me like what what does this child know she doesn't know anything um, so that was pretty, that was pretty interesting. Um, definitely a learning curve in terms of how to deal with different types of people, and also how to be assertive in what you're saying. I had to kind of prove myself that yes, I am a child in your eyes, but you know, I'm 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 here to help you. I'm not here to speak down to you or to patronise you. I'm just here to help. You can either kind of take it or leave it. I, yeah. I've done the training for this. Um, for what I'm doing, I know what I'm talking about and we'll take it from there it'll either work or it won't work Um, and then as part of that opportunity I ended up meeting somebody, another manager Um, I'd expressed an interest to them around uh, moving down to London, at the time a lot of my friends who had gone to Edinburgh Edinburgh Uni with um, had started to move down for jobs Um, Mm -hmm. my sister at the time was living in London she'd been living there for um, about three years at that point, I was absolutely loving it. Um, and I just thought, I might as well, I've got nothing to lose. It's something different. There's going to be so many job opportunities down there. Do you know what? I'll go for a year or two years, see what happens. If it works, amazing. If it doesn't work, then I'll go back to Glasgow. We'll just see what happens. So I'd express an interest um, around moving down. Again, they say, there's this job opportunity coming up for basically moving your role. It's just a straight swap um, from Glasgow 
to not even London, it was Bromley. That's where the direct line okay. building was out in Bromley. Right. So um, again, I applied, I got the job and I moved to London. That was nine years ago now, which is mad. So it worked out well, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> the two years ended up nine and counting. Um, and again, that first job, just being entry-level um, HR advisor, officer, and the team down there, um, the team that I was moved into were mostly, it was um, mostly recruitment. Um, and because they hadn't had an entry-level person before, um, I sat down with my new manager and we said, right, okay, they said, sorry, this is what we're going to do. Um, we're going to have you in a six-month rotation and every month you're going to do something completely different. So you'll work with um, uh, looking at um, sort of normal experience hire recruitment. We'll get you to look at graduate recruitment. We'll get you to look at employer branding. You can do some work um, kind of more operational side. We'll move you around. So I got to do that, which was amazing. And it really opened my eyes up to all the kind of different parts within that recruitment side as well, which again is so layered. Um, and yeah, they said at the end of it, will speak to the people that you worked with and kind of get their view of where you sit. We'll take your input as well and we'll make a decision as to where you therefore sit within the team. Um, so I did that and the two areas that stuck out to me were graduate recruitment and employer branding, mm -hmm. which is funny because that's what I've now done for the last <laughs> nine years in London. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so that I just, I get, in going back to what I said around my degree, the two pieces that stood out to me were HR and marketing. Um, I just found them, I just found it really interesting. I felt passionate about it. I wanted to do it. It wasn't, it wasn't that I was turning up every day and just being like, oh, this, oh I suppose I'll just do this. Yeah. And that's so important. If you don't have any passion or drive, then just don't do it at all. It's just not worth, it's not worth your time, your energy, your stress, nothing. So the opportunity came out of that conversation that um, it worked out for me to join the graduate recruitment team um, with the restructure um, of RBS Insurance and then being um, the kind of the sell-off and then turning into um, Direct Line Group. They hadn't recruited interns or grads for a number of years. So the person that they recruited to be the grad recruitment manager was basically building it from scratch. She'd worked in um, graduate recruitment for maybe about 10 years. She had loads of experience, great per like great person to work with and a great person to learn from as well. So she basically took me through everything. She was like, this is how we um this is how we screen candidates, this is how we do an assessment center, this is how we structure the intern summer, this is how we structure their onboarding, this is what the first 90 days should look like for a graduate. She taught me everything and I Worked with her for two years um, in those first intakes of graduates and interns, which was great. Um, and then it kind of got to the point where I was kind of looking for the next step. Um, I kind of felt like I'd learned everything that I could learn within those two years. I'd seen at that point when I was leaving that role, um, my third intake of graduates. So, you know, I'd kind of seen everything I knew how how it ran and my next thought was okay I kind of want the opportunity to start running it mm. and because we were a two-person team that opportunity wasn't really there 
So I applied for a job um, at a, um, an American investment bank that will name, I will keep them nameless for now <laughs> because <laughs> I was there for six months and didn't really have a great time. Um, so, yeah, so went and, and uh, went to be a graduate recruitment officer at this particular um, investment bank. It was like night and day because there was no support. Nobody really cared what I was doing. Nobody really wanted to support me. If I had any questions, it was just sort of get on with it. Uh, working in an investment bank in Kerry Wharf, the hours were pretty intensive, which at 24, 25, I was maybe not really prepared for. Um, and I just think for me, it was too much too soon. I kind of needed to take a step back and still kind of have that ownership, but within a structure that was really well defined and you kind of had that foundation of a really strong program behind you but you had the opportunities to flex and grow um, which is why I applied to EY and thankfully got that job there and met you which was more than great. thankfully you're obviously an excellent candidate and we saw oh. what you could add to the team so I remember at the time when you joined it was me and then our friend Liz as well mm -hmm. and um, we'd been kind of doing it and uh, the two of us for a long time and we needed extra people and we managed to get a headcount and we wanted people that could add value into the team so I remember we both had conversations about that passion that you're talking about that was so obvious and it was also I remember as well kind of obvious that you were in a place where you weren't in a passionate place mm. or a passionate role and I've, I've never really worked, I considered working in investment banking, but I also think as well, sometimes with industries like that, there's a trade-off in terms of salary as well. And graduate recruitment, let's face it, it's not the best paid job in the world. Yeah. Um, and so you're not even going to get that in some respects. So, so yeah, so carry on. So you started your journey at EY, which is where we met. Exactly. I remember that day well because I knew we were going to be best friends when you went to show me something on your phone and your background was a picture of Ryan Gosling. And I thought, he's the guy for me. We are going to be friends. <laughs> Ryan Gosling was going to be the, the guy for you. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say no, let's be honest. Um, so yes, I joined, um, I joined you and Liz um, in the the schools team, which was really exciting because for me it was a new opportunity. I hadn't um, really considered that type of student recruitment before. I think again, just coming from my background and how it's been historically in the UK up until five six years ago, um, you know, you went to school, you got your your hires in Scotland or you got your A-levels, you went to university and that's how you got a job. Um, and when, when I joined EY and met you, that conversation was starting to change. Um, and I just thought this is really interesting. We're going to be able to give people opportunities and a career that they never thought was possible because they thought this old school blocker was always going to be there. And that for me, I thought was, was, Great, I thought I'd love to be part of that conversation. I'd love to be part of that experience for opening up um, somebody's life to something that they never thought was possible. And they thought they had to go down this very stringent route. So, so yeah, we worked together for 
three and a half years, I believe. Yeah, yeah so um, doing the Before you left me. Before I left you, I'm so <laughs> sorry. Um, so yeah, we worked together um, for three and a half years. Two of those years, uh, or two and a half of those years, where um, I was working in the recruitment side. So I looked after the recruitment for our Scottish North and Midlands offices, which was so much fun from London, going up to deepest, darkest Aberdeenshire to go speak to kids in a high school um, and up in Inverness and things, then come back down. So I definitely got some good air miles in <laughs> during those couple of years. Um, so yes, did that with you, and then again that conversation piece um, where the person who was supporting you from an employer branding perspective was leaving, and we went for a, a cheeky pint, didn't we, to have a conversation we did, we about did. it? I remember as well, like it was uh, my favourite time of year. It was Christmas. I remember it was that. Christmas. The Christmas markets down on um, the the river in London bridge and I'd had the kind of I'd seen enough tunes to, to kind of snatch you over to be fair I'd been and had a conversation with um, Jane who will pop up in your story again I'm sure in a second mm-hmm. um, but um, I basically kind of like I was at a point where the school's piece was growing so fast that I needed support and recruitment takes a long time especially when you need to find the right candidates and we had mm. the right candidate right under our nose and it was you so we swiftly um pulled you over onto the employer brand side of things exactly. um, and gave you kind of a baptism of fire in a way because we got you to you know, do some of the the old stuff as well whilst you were doing the new stuff and learning things well you did a really good job and handled it really professionally as well so props to yeah, you for it that about, it was about was it three or four months where I was kind of straddling both roles and it was <laughs> it was wild but we got through it it was fine I think as well because we knew there was a an end goal as well we knew it wasn't this wasn't going to be my permanent role of doing two things at the same time you can just kind of swallow it and be like no that's going to be fine and also I've I loved working at EY I loved going to my job mm. I loved working with you so yeah. it wasn't like I was doing two jobs in a place I hated it was it wasn't hard in that way so that was fine and um and yeah and then we worked together as a the wee schools dream team for about a year and a half together we did, yeah we did I mean you it got to a point like and if you think of that 12 month cycle as well by the end of the 12 months like Liz and I went off on holiday together for four weeks to Australia and left you holding the baby that's um, right and you carried that's on right. that through as well Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, a lot of a lot of water went under those EY school bridges and stuff. Exactly. And Justin, who might be listening as well, was part of that team as well, and is still mm-hmm. over. Is he moved over to Australia, hasn't he? So yeah, um, yeah, fond memory. So what happened next? Where did you go after EY? What did you, who did you leave me for, Harriet? Oh. So because you left me holding the baby to go gallivanting with Liz down under, it was again one of those things where I thought, oh. I think I can do this. I, I, I know what I'm doing to do this by myself. I think, again, this is a stepping up opportunity. So I went from EY to KPMG. Oh, went to one of the competitors. Um, and I was there. And again, it was one of, it seems to happen with me with every other role. 
again, it was one of those things where I, I changed roles and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, mm. Unfortunately, I was still working within the school space. I was still within um, the, uh, employer branding, sorry. And again, it was an opportunity to kind of um, to manage what that will look like. But um, the the opportunity that I thought I was going to have, it didn't really turn into that. I thought I was going to have more of a say on what we were going to do. But in actuality, it was get this done. And I thought, mm, that's not what I want to do. I want to have a say in what we do here. I've worked in this space for three and a half years at a, a company that was one of the pioneers for schools and apprenticeship recruitment, EY. And I still consider them to be. They're so they were so good at what they were doing at the time and continue to be great at that type of recruitment that I thought I know what I'm talking about. Let me let me have a voice and let me try and do something with this. Yeah. But it wasn't to be. And again, it was one of those situations where I thought, do I wait this out for 18 months, two years, and see if it's different, or do I just call it like I see it and move on? Which is what I did. And again, it was another kind of six month re blip. But um, out of that situation, I had a conversation with um, a mutual friend of ours who had worked in agency before, and he'd said, you know, this, I see you working at an agency, I think that's kind of what you would be really good at. You understand employer branding, but this is an opportunity for you to work with lots of different types of clients that are doing, that have different needs opportunity for you to to grow your skill sets um and you'll have a say as an account manager as a senior account manager you are the day-to-day -day contact for your client your opinion counts you're mm -hmm. their internal voice to the creative team that you work for but also they pay you for your opinion you're supposed to be an expert in this type of recruitment so they want to hear what you have to say yeah um even if you don't know the answer straight away you have to go away and think about it which is one of my favorite things to do, but I'll come back to you on that. Um, you know, and that's what I wanted. So I applied to AIA, which is uh, an employer branding agency here in London, um, for a senior account manager role, got the job there, which was fantastic. Um, and yes, I was with them for almost two and a half years I think trying to add up all the all the years and when they all overlapped and that was I would say after EY that was probably one of the most rewarding jobs that I've had um, I think from a learning perspective um, it's working at an agency is incredibly um, rewarding and stressful at the same time because you may have, for example, two to four clients. You may have anywhere between two to six projects running on each client concurrently. Mm -hmm. um, if you are their account manager, senior account manager, like I just mentioned, you are their day-to-day -day contact. You have to keep them up to date on everything that's going on. You have to be on top of everything. So not only are you managing your external stakeholders from a client perspective, you've got your internal stakeholders. So no matter what project you're working on, you have creative input, you have technical input, you have copywriting input, social media input. It can, it can be anything and everything depending on what the output is going to be. So it's a lot of people depending on you 
to to run the shop and know what's going on um you know with a learning curve you you have to be on it at all times um and it's something that i actually really enjoy about my job now that i've been doing it for a couple of years um and yeah just getting to see how different companies are doing their recruitment marketing what's their priorities where are their challenges what can we do to help them you know it's just really really interesting to see how different uh, companies different sizes different industries um work so mm -hmm. it's just been incredible insight um from my perspective and also from a creative perspective as well seeing what the people you work with are able to do and the creative outputs they're able to create is I think is amazing. It's I'm still stunned with some of the people that I have worked with and I do work with now. And the fact that that's the way that their brain works and they come up with this amazing stuff that I would never think of. Um, so yeah, I've been really lucky to work with, with different people um, and really amazing people at that. Um, so kind of leading up to present day, um, at the end of last year, I decided to move to a different agency. Um, so I'm now working at MSL Group, which is part of Publicis Group, um, which is a really big comms company, but a global comms company. And we are a influence practice agency that sits within um, Publicis uh, here in London, but we're an international agency ourselves. Um, and that has been it's been very interesting for me because I started the first week of January uh, and by week 10 of my job, we were in lockdown. <laughs> so <laughs> it was one of those things where you're still kind of trying to find your feet and then you're working from home from now on. Um, yeah. So it's definitely been an interesting one in terms of kind of settling into a new company and their culture and what they're all about when you are, you're only kind of there for two months and then you're at home. Um, and also kind of building your client relationships as well. But I've been very lucky because Jane, who was our employer brand head of at um, EY, is now my client at MSL, which has been amazing. Um, it's always good to see a friendly face at the other side of the table or on the other side of a Zoom call. And it's someone that you've worked with as well. So you they kind of like, they know how you tech, I know how she techs, kind of know what she needs. So that's been really, really great. And it's been amazing working with her again in a different capacity now as well. Um, and yeah, it's been, I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's been um, really interesting to kind of learn, learn how an, a different agency does everything because, you know, it's the same as moving from company to company. Not everything's the exact same. Um, so that's always kind of having to relearn everything again, but obviously the foundation and the principles are all the same. And then having to do it from lockdown as well. So that's been <laughs> that's been quite interesting, but uh, I passed my probation, I'm good. I'm a full-time member of the team. Woo! Um, so yeah, it's been it's been great and I'm excited to kind of see what happens next with that the cool thing about msl is that they're not just employer branding they have an employee strand to that particular agency they are an all-purpose creative and pr agency so they have um, a consumer team a corporate team and myself who sits within the employee team so again that the the strengthening and and widening my skill set and kind of seeing what happens next 
I mean, I would be very interested to see perhaps moving into consumer marketing mm. and kind of going down that more traditional route of, um, you know, stuff you buy from ads on Instagram. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, seeing what's, what the next step is. I think I try not to fence myself in too much. I have general goals of what I want to achieve. And I'd say that's kind of more job title led and kind of where I see myself being in the next couple of years mm -hmm. doing what I'm not too restrictive with because I think if you see an opportunity and it feels right and you want to go for it just go for it um and if, if, if the opportunity feels like it's authentic to what you want to do with your career then you should do it so so yeah I'm just trying to you know keep the lights on in my flat and do some good work and yeah Live the London dream. <laughs> Living it, baby. Well, I'm certainly <laughs> very proud listening to you retelling that. It's one of the reasons that I, I invited you on this. Because I, I think that um, it's really important when, especially at the moment, what you're saying there speaks to me in terms of thinking about a growth mindset and not limiting ourselves and going, oh, well, I've always done this. So what am I going to do now? And there's going to be a lot of people that are listening to this that are potentially going to be like, what the am I going to do next? Mm. I've done this career for so many years. I'm on furlough. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I've been made redundant. How can I reskill? I'm too old to do this. I don't want to do that. I was happy where it was. They're just going to have to kind of grab the, the balls by the horns a little bit um, and kick themselves in the proverbial Mm -hmm. um, and, and come into action so it's, I always enjoy talking to guests that have kind of already got that there as well and it's, it's where I see the, the kind of similarities between our career stories as well is that just guiding principle of if I'm happy in what I'm doing then that's what's important to me I'll get to where I want to get eventually yeah you can't force things no um and I know, I know kind of aside then in terms of the conversation we have as friends and stuff, that is a challenge of mine. I do try to predict things and control it and that's what stresses me do out. Do you? I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, we won't go into that because it's your career <laughs> story. <I'm> like, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it's, 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 thank you for sharing that really honestly because I really do appreciate it and all the people listening, they do as well. So there is um, additional stuff that I want to cover off with you as well whilst I've got you around your great allyship of me um, and to be fair, every other LGBT plus person that would want allyship, um, if I'm honest. Um, but before I do that, just to wrap up this segment of the, the interview, if somebody could kind of take something from your journey and you had one piece of career advice you could give them, what would it be? I don't think I've got one, I've got two. You just be awkward, don't you? Go on. I'm just gonna, to, you know, you, you know me. Yeah, you know me, I love to be awkward. I think kind of the first thing is would be what we've just spoken about. I think keep your options open. You you need to make sure that when you get out of bed in the morning and you either walk to your dining room table to switch on your laptop or you get on the tube to go to work, you're happy because let's be honest, we spend more time at work than we do anywhere else, especially now, now when that kind of like the lines are slightly blurred as to yeah. when you should be working and when you shouldn't be because you know yeah, yeah. you could just be watching television at eight o'clock at night and just cheekily checking email. 
if you're going to be doing that, then you have to be happy and contained and passionate and driven about what you're doing. That's to me the number one important thing because your own mental health um, is so important, especially during the time that we're dealing with at the moment with lockdown. Um, even though it's easing, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. So yeah. um, be passionate and be happy and, and love love what you're doing. Um, and don't be restrictive as well. Keep your options open so that, you know, you do what you want to do. And then secondly, kind of from what I've learned is if you don't ask, you don't get. The majority of my job opportunities have come from conversations, like I mentioned. It's talking to people um, and either, you know, seeking them out for those particular roles or you've had a conversation with someone, you've had, and you've left an impression, they've thought of you again and thought oh do you know what I had a really good conversation with that person at that event I'm going to send them a message on LinkedIn and see if they're looking for a job opportunity networking and asking the questions I think is so important um, and it's really helped me in my career um, and it's something that I would always advise people to do because if the answer is no the answer is no like no harm no foul really yeah. But if you have that conversation and it ends up leading to this amazing opportunity, then, you know, that's the best thing ever. So, you know, you're yeah. not going to lose anything just simply by asking a question or reaching out to someone. So, yeah, that's kind of, they would be my two things. I know you said one. No, no it's fine. I'll let, you, I'll let you get off with that because it's the second one is particularly something that has always struck me about you is that you ask. You're, not, you're kind of not afraid of the answer and mm. you take that opportunity and use it as a, as a way to kind of gauge the situation or to kind of work out what you need to do and it's something that I've really enjoyed as a, as a friend and just um, as working with you as well over the years is seeing how you've, you've grown in that aspect of being able to take on feedback and help it move you to the next step and everything and it's because you, it's because you ask you, you receive and you then use it to drive you forward as well. You've got a very open mind in that respect, which brings me very nicely, which is also a good segue. So well done there, <laughs> darling. Um, into um, the other reason that I wanted to invite you onto the pod was around um, your fantastic skill of being an ally for the LGBT, LGBT plus community. Now, I, I know this inside out. I've been doing a webinar earlier today, going through inclusive job adverts, going through all the various different letters that go with that plus. But for people that are listening, that haven't got the foggiest what an ally is, please explain it in your words, darling. Sure. So to me, an ally is someone who doesn't necessarily sit within a particular um, community they would sit on the outside of that as they don't identify with um, a particular letter. But they still are um, empathetic to um, their feelings, their struggles, their situations, their history, and you respect it, you listen to it, and you're there to lend a shoulder to cry on, have a glass of wine at the end of the week, and. I mean, for you and me in particular, go dancing with on a Saturday night. 
Yeah. Um, well, not at the moment, clearly. Not at the, we used to, it's no. been so long. <laughs> oh, so sad. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what an ally is to me. An ally is a friend, if you put it simply. Um, and that's what I try to be as much as I can. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a street woman. I will never understand the struggles that... Um, people within the LGBTQ plus community go through. Um, I'll never try to say that, like, I, I understand you. I would never be that patronizing. But like I say, I'm, I'm here to listen if you want me to listen. And I'm here to take your mind off it if you want me to as well. Um, so yeah, that's what being an ally is to me anyway. Yeah, it's a very good explanation. And that's that's, I mean, it's not something that's kind of very kind of new to you because you've grown up being a, an ally, haven't you, as well? You wrote an article for me last year that's still one of the, the most read articles on the website. So bravo to you for that. I hate you for it. It's <laughs> my content that you've eaten. Um, yeah. but, still um, haven't yeah. received my cheque. I'm just saying, still not received my cheque. Uh, you signed the, the dotted line for free because <laughs> um, you love me. Um, mm -hmm. But um, tell tell those who haven't read um, that article um, what I'm talking about. Yeah, sure. So the article that I wrote for Steve last year was kind of around like why pride matters to me as an ally, uh, and I believe the article is called "I Get By with a Little Help from My Friends" because sure is. of course you do. So for me, um, when I was little, um, my fabulous parents um, never really sat down and explained anything to me in terms of these people are like this and this is this and you know these this or tried to like compartmentalize anything to me. They just kind of said it was very black and white in terms of um, that person's this way and this person looks like this and there was no kind of trying to justify that it was just this is how it is um and kind of within that um my uncle's gay um which coming from um uh irish catholic background that my family have you would think that maybe that would be quite a, a sore subject or perhaps something that wasn't readily accepted within our larger family but like I said when I was younger I was just told that my uncle was gay they didn't have to sit down and kind of explain to me like what that meant and you know that you should feel a particular way I was like this is your uncle he lives in London and he's got a boyfriend and I was like and being I mean I can't even remember when I found out it was just always there um I also think as well, growing up in the 90s, um, we were starting to see more queer representation on television and in the media. And I think again, I mean, I was definitely too young to be watching Queer as Folk. It was definitely in like primary six or something and was just sneaking it on, <laughs> just watching it. Oh, I remember <laughs> sneaking it on and watching the upstairs and being <laughs> like, like, ooh, and then being like, oh, is this, oh, like, ooh, what? Yeah, ooh, no, ooh, yeah, ooh, no, no. Uh -huh. I was like, oh, and I'm like, Oh, what are they doing? Oh, they're doing that. Okay, I'm 10. I'm just going to see what this is. Um, and yeah, but again, I never, it was just kind of one of those things where I thought, oh yeah, there's people that do that. It wasn't, it didn't seem odd. It just kind of, to me, seemed like this is something that happens. Um, so I think I'm really lucky in that aspect that my parents have never tried to justify 
what is seen as a minority, uh, no matter whether it's a religion, uh, a race, um, or a, a sexual orientation. Um, to me, it's just this is the way it is. Mm. Um, and I've just kind of always been taught that I will take you on face value. If you're a nice person, then I think you're a nice person. If you're a bit of a dick, then you're a bit of a dick. And that's going to that's gonna be it. I don't care who you are, where you come from, what you do. That's just gonna how, how I'm going to take you. Um, so I've just kind of always been like that. And then as I got older, I started to mix with different groups of people. I started to meet more queer people, uh, kind of in my teenage years and early 20s, and kind of started to meet queer peers, really, and started to kind of understand this, what they've gone through and the fact that, you know, just because I'm from an accepting family doesn't mean that they're from one. I think that I'm very lucky. And I think my, my uncle was very lucky to come from a loving family that just accepts him for the way he is. Yeah. Um, despite the fact that we will make fun of him, but it's fine. That's what families do. Um, but, you know, that's not the same for everyone. I would say that's probably the minority. Um, I'm, I hope it's changing a more positive um a more positive route and I think that it is but you know kind of the late 90s early 2000s when people are starting to be more comfortable around who they are you know you're still going to face some backlash because it's not seen as normal so I think to me when I heard these stories I just thought that's not that's not right there's something that's not quite right about this I don't understand why people are so against equality I just I don't see how people are threatened by everyone having a fair shot. It's like that analogy of equality being a, a pizza. Just because someone takes a slice doesn't mean that you you have less. We're all just trying to that's that's what equal is. We're all trying to get up to the same level. So to me, I just to me I just didn't I didn't understand it, and I just thought that's not right, and I'm never going to stand for that being okay. Um, if I um, hear someone saying something offensive, I've got no problem in telling them where to go, whether I've had a couple of drinks or not. Um, I have yelled at a man who was twice my size for making a homophobic comment in a bar, and I had no problem going full Glasgow in my accent and <laughs> shouting at him in public um, because I knew it's not right and I'm not going to have, even, I wasn't even with any of my queer friends at the time. I just heard it and I thought, you need to shut your mouth yeah. um, because you don't know who's in this pub. And, and also, who do you think you are? Like, nobody needs to hear your opinion. Shut up and sit down and enjoy your pain. So, yeah, I've, and like I said, as an ally, I'm just here to lend an ear. If, if someone's having a bad day, they've had a bad experience, I'm happy to sit and talk about it and listen and, and give my advice and give my opinion. And like I said, stand up if you see something that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, be vocal about equality because it's the most important thing. I think putting a restriction on love seems counterproductive. Um, to me, it also seems really inhumane. Like that's what we thrive off as humans. We, we need love. So to me, that just didn't make any sense because just because that is seen as a normal thing to me, uh, you never know like I might not meet anyone or the relationship that I'm in just now might not go anywhere and, and but at least I've got a fighting chance as a straight person I'm not going to be persecuted against the person that I fall in love with 
So to me, has seeing people who've been persecuted purely on the stance of love, just no, I'm not here for it and I'll never be here for it. I'm always going to stand up for what I think is right. And I think equality is right. I, I love that about you and I always have done to be fair. Um, and thank you for those times when there are, the, the other people would just sit and let things happen and standing up. Um, and being that, that voice when somebody isn't in the room, because that's a really, really important part of totally. um, equality but also of, of our allyship as well and it's it's one of many ways that you show up as being an ally as well what would you say might be some of the other ways fun and serious because there's lots of fun ways that you show up fun and well. serious well fun is being an avid RuPaul Drag Race watcher I mean, also, I that, that doesn't mean that I'm an ally <laughs> 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 and if there's any scolding hot drag race tea i'm always the first one to share with you um, yes, yeah. <laughs> um actually i mean even though that was like a silly thing to say i think just enjoying i mean not enjoying a tv show does not make you an ally but i think um consuming queer content is very important um and i think that's another way that you can stand up um watch documentaries, watch films, read books, buy queer music, you know, all these things are so important, not only from an educational perspective, but you're also helping these media mediums thrive. Um, so I think that's really important as well. Um, you know, even some, something as simple as going to a gay bar on a Saturday night with one of your gay friends, or if you don't have one, go with one of your straight friends and go and immerse yourself in this culture. If you want to stand up and be part of it, get involved, go and meet some queer people um, and, and, be, and, and see what it's like. Um, I mean, I know that obviously that's a very particular part of being part of a culture, but it's something that you can very easily, well, I was just about to say it's something you can quite easily do at the weekend. At the moment, we can't, although next week, the bars are reopening. Hey, there's Glasgow popping her head up. <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully we can go to a gay bar in the next couple of weeks. Um, but that's a very simple thing that you can do is to go along and be part of a community. You know, if you've um, seen a documentary that you thought was really interesting and there's perhaps events that are coming off the back of that particular talking point, be involved in it. Um, I know that we had a conversation earlier today around disclosure that documentary that's coming out on Netflix around yeah, um, black so trans people. Yeah, yeah, black trans people in media. And I think that is going to be so good. Can't wait to watch it. But then for me, that's a topical conversation that I don't know a lot about. So I've started thinking, oh, I wonder if there's any kind of like Zoom events that I can maybe go along to and, and read some more and watch some more and just, you know, be part of the conversation and educate myself. Um, mm. I mean, that's a great thing about the internet. Like you can find so many resources, sorry, on there at the tip of your fingers. So I think if you're going to, if you're going to be an ally and you're going to say that you are an ally, then, you know, educate yourself, understand the, the difficulties, the key talking points at the moment. I mean, the past couple of weeks, the stuff that's been going on in the US and the UK, particularly around trans people um, and, you know, the Supreme Court, thankfully, 
making sure that employers cannot discriminate against queer people um, regarding their jobs, which is fantastic. But then we've obviously had a lot of stuff happening here in the UK around the Equality Act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, you know, go online, read some, find out what's going on, sign a petition, go to an online event, you know, read a book, <laughs> watch a documentary, go down, support your local gay bars, support your local drag queens, that's something that's super important, support that, the queer media and queer artists, and yeah, support um, queer industries as well, you know, give some money to the gay bars and keep them thriving. And yeah, I think that's kind of, that's what you can do to show up, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. perfect, love it. Um, there's just so there's just so there's so much there that you do that I forget that you do sometimes as well. So it's no surprise sometimes when I think, oh my god, she's gayer than me. Um, at times. <laughs> I mean, a little bit. I am secretly yeah. a gay man. Let's be honest. Well, that's a that's a story for another day, isn't it? We really, uh, <laughs> we might use that as an opportunity to to wrap things up there as well. I can see your lighting's going as there as well. You forgot to put some coins in the meter. And no, what's happened is, is the sun has been slowly setting as we've uh, been chatting, and now I'm just, uh, I mean, I must say the light, it's quite a nice light, I'm not going to lie. It's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. quite good. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I'm now going to, well, the thing is, I would switch my light on, but then it would just go a bit weird, so I'll just sit with this lovely yeah. mood lighting. Beauty of the audio, nobody's going to see that until I put the video <laughs> up anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh well it's i mean it's been thank you for um spending time with me this evening sharing your career sorry i'm going into that detail on allyship allyship because it's just so important i can't wait to um to get a date in the diary for um disclosure we've also got that um icelandic eurovision film as well oh um, i'm so excited about that yeah and um I will be seeing you, albeit at a distance, on the weekend anyway, because you're coming to, to celebrate what Pride would have been in a new, Yay! bold way for 2020. Exactly. We're, um, we're going to have a social distance Pride. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's going to be fun, fun, fun. So thank you very much for your time. It's been great having you on the show. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. Lovely. Thanks. <laughs> so that's that's for, for everybody listening that is the the fifth and final um episode of the my proud career story for now shall we say um so if you've enjoyed listening throughout the series enjoyed listening to harriet's episode as well leave a review subscribe um let's keep this um, message going and keep uh podcast going we've got a couple more episodes to go for season two and then i'll be wrapping up for a little break over the summer because i'm finally gonna get to go home and see my family <laughs> thanks for tuning in everybody and uh, goodbye for now 